Good, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Hello, yeah, I think the signal's a little bit off. <laughs> okay. Hopefully that'll be better. Yeah, I think this is better. There we go. There we go. Uh, Stephanie, thank you for joining me today. Pleasure, thanks for having me. Um, really appreciate your time. I know I emailed you at the last minute to see if we was going ahead, so that's my bad on that. Uh, no, no on that one. Um, for, so for those people that don't know who you are, um, which I know you've got a lot of following, so I know a lot of people do know who you are, um, but for those listeners that don't, um, could you just tell us about your background and kind of what you do? Yep. So I am known for being a powerlifter. I've been competing for about five years. Um, I'm also a physiotherapist, so I graduated a couple of years ago from the University of Miami. And I'm the co-owner of Hybrid Performance Method, which is an online business uh, to give people affordable and accessible training programs that are focused on strength. That's pretty okay. much it. And obviously, you've got um, 25 world records as well, which yeah. is <laughs> a little kudos there. I mean, um, I've got none, so I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> um, how, how do you prepare for your, your world record attempts? Mm. So what your mindset and everything uh, for that? Do you know you're going to do it in advance or is it just I'm going to turn up and get this way up? Both, you know, it, you never know. You know, some training sessions, hold on, my cat is wrecking something. One second. Dude, <laughs> dude, please, 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 please stop that. Come here. We saved this cat, this cat from the streets the other day. Ah, bless. I, I love cats. Very cute. She's like, she's like three weeks old. Oh, man. Baby. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it depends. You know, there's there's training cycles that are a little bit more focused where um, everything's kind of pre-planned and going according to the plan. And then there's training cycles where you have no idea kind of what's going to happen. Your expectations are set low and you end up surprising yourself. So, you know, the training for a world record Sometimes it's something that you foresee that can happen and you have confidence in yourself and you think that, you know, it's definitely going to go down at a competition, but it's not always the case. You know, it's just really consistent and dedicated training for long periods of time. Mm. Which world record um, do you think has been your toughest one to achieve? Uh, I would say my first deadlift world record because there was so much hype behind it there was so much talk about it since it's my it's my strongest lift it's what people know me for the most so i think like the anticipation and expectation and fear of uh you know not performing at a certain level or not doing what people expect and hope to see letting people down you know that was tough from a mental aspect going into a meet and just overthinking everything kind of thing um and i think i actually I actually failed that world record deadlift a couple times, so in two different meets. You know, one time it didn't come off the ground, and one time I, m I missed it on grip. So it was, you're in your head when you have a, a missed deadlift attempt, or, you, or you know, now that I'm doing boxing, I can imagine, like, if you, if, you, if you lose on a fight, you know, then that gets on your head for the next one. And it's, it's, a, it's a challenging kind of, like, mental game that you have to play, play with yourself, like, trying to forget about it and not give not giving the losses importance so that you can start kind of like with a plain canvas on the next match or in the next competition so the mm. first time i broke that deadlift world record it was was exciting because like 
it, you work so hard, right? In preparation for a competition, you can be training for anywhere from two months to six months, you know, where, where all you do is focus all day long on this competition. Everything you do from the moment you wake up to the moment you, you go to sleep is thinking about this competition and this world record. So having gone through all of that cutting weight, that's another like huge aspect of uh, aspect of competitive powerlifting. You know, I, I walk around at 130 pounds and then I cut down to 118, 119. Those are wow. those are big cuts. So yeah. just going through that whole process, cutting weight, staying focused, you know, saying no to distractions, sacrificing stuff like trips and bachelorette parties of my friends and and bad food and whatnot. You go through that twice with the expectation that you're gonna achieve something and then you don't end up doing it. That's why I feel like the third time when I uh, when I attempted the world record and I actually got it, it was so exciting because it was a long time coming. You know, I have mm -hmm. some pictures from that, and you can see like I've I've never shown that much excitement on like on a platform. I started crying. I just like couldn't hold it together. You know, it's just it's exciting <laughs> and it's oh my god, it's just so much. I don't think people people who don't compete don't understand that. You know, to people it's just a deadlift. It's just lifting. You're just lifting weights. But they don't understand like the the behind the scenes suffering to get there and how and dude with with powerlifting training going to the gym is if you're comp if you're competitive and you're getting paid to do that you're not like enjoying your time all the time it's not like it's not like playing soccer it's not like playing baseball where you're playing you're with people you're messing around you know there's so much things that you can do. With powerlifting, you just walk in, you train. Most likely, you're have, you'll, you're gonna have a shitty day, and you walk out of the gym. So it is special when you're able to like break through barriers for yourself, barriers that people place upon you, you know, uh, stereotypes like all these things. Doing things that are humanly impossible that people haven't done in the past. That's what a world record is. So mm. it is super exciting. I mean the the key line there as well is that people don't see what's going on behind the doors with that hard hard sort of work ethic um there's plenty of sayings out there but people are like you know it took me 10 years to be an overnight success and it's kind of like the same thing like it took me you know five thousand hours in the gym to to lift that weight or or however many hours and people don't see those five thousand hours they just see that one lift and they're if you fail they're quick to jump on your back not knowing about the hard work and obviously when you succeed it's always some people will you know go oh yeah it was a lucky lift or whatever and it's like no i worked my ass off for this you just didn't see it absolutely it's like the uh iceberg effect mm. yeah yeah really good yeah really it's, good it's very exactly very true people love to write you off when you obviously like when i miss that when, when i miss lifts in competition people are like see like she you know she's not good or or the opposite actually to make my point within this argument it's like Oh yeah, powerlifting comes easy to her. Of course, anyone can be a world record holding powerlifter. Powerlifter, if if they had you know all the time in the world to train and they didn't have kids and they didn't have responsibilities, it's like nah, dude. I made my life so to set it up so that I could train full time. You think like one day I just decided I'm gonna drop everything and train full time? No, like you you. There's a period of time where you're that we are all the same. We're all juggling responsibilities, stressors you know, in school and finances, we all go through that. No professional athlete ever just gets handed an opportunity. So. Yeah, it always, it always cracks me up when people say, oh, I could have done that. And it's like, well, if you could have, you would have. 
but you didn't. So, so, exactly. so you know, don't, and then, and then the excuses come and everything like that. And then people think someone else has it easy and it's like, no, it's not the case. Like we're all born pretty much the same. You know, some people have it a little bit more difficult in life because of backgrounds and everything like that. But fundamentally we get the same amount of hours in the day to work on our craft and, and become, you know, the best at what we do. Exactly. How did you get over that um, mental sort of barrier when you stepped up for that third lift? Because I know it's hard to explain when, when we talk about mentality, it's always hard because you are wired the way you're wired. But how did yeah. you kind of overcome that? Did you just step there and think, whatever, I'm going for it and it's going to lift? Or was it like, I'm going to fail here? No, look, I mean, there's, there's people who can do that, right? They just don't think much about kind of the mental strategy. But in a sport, that's a matter of like, it's inches, you know, it's a matter of inches, like you, it's positions, it's like preparation, you're in your mental, your mental uh, state for the competition has a lot to do with your with the outcome. If you ask any professional athlete, how percent percentage wise, how much do you think uh, mindset plays a role in your sport? They're all going to tell you like, it's like 80 90%. And then you're going to ask them, Okay, so like what you what do you do to work on your mental game? And then they say, well, I mean nothing. At most like visualization is what people say. Hmm. So after I missed that second time in that competition, I really, I had that realization that it's like, I realized that my mental game's not strong. I'm breaking down during training. You know, if I have a bad, sorry about that. If I have a bad training day, I, um, I started develop this, developing this shitty attitude where I would just like, be pissed off and like cut my work out in half and leave kind of thing. Um, and that's when I realized, I'm like, damn, I think like this is a, a, a really important hole in my training that I need to fill. You know, like I can't just expect that one day I'm going to, my mental game is going to be better. My mental strength is going to be better. So I hired a sports psychologist and we worked for together for like eight months leading into the next competition. I took some time off from meets to, um, really developed this develop a strategy and if to me it was game changing like i and even just even outside of the sport but i'll i'll stick to talking about this meet um and how and how how the mental strength training improved my performance so like one of the strategies you're asking like how did you shake off the the previous meet not going your way and then having to step on the platform and essentially attempt the same weight so one of the main strategies that we utilized was visualizing a negative outcome. So a lot of people, when they use visualization techniques, they focus on the positives. It's like, oh, visualize yourself on the top of the hill, on the top of the mountain, you know, first, first place podium, visualize yourself with a gold medal on your neck, or like visualize yourself making a lift or punching someone on the face and winning the, winning the, the match, whatever. But most of our, folk, our training focused on visualizing negative outcomes and essentially planning for how you're going to respond. So I would literally do this mental exercise. It's almost every session where, you know, I'm doing everything. I'm getting ready, putting my singlet on. I feel good. Um, I'm walking towards the bar. I have chalk on my hands. I feel the grip. The bar is cold, like with a lot of detail. Um, and then I, may, I, I, I miss the lift. I miss the lift at the bottom. I wasn't strong enough. I miss a lift at mid-range. I wasn't my my grip was failing i missed the lift whatever my technique was off and you go through all these scenarios and you, you think about how you're going to react you know you have three attempts in deadlift in a 
in powerlifting for each lift. So how you respond to a missed lift, it impacts your performance tremendously because it's, it's only nine attempts total. So it just was a lot of, um, it wasn't even like, so sports psychology is not like traditional therapy psychology where you're like talking about your feelings. You don't really talk about your feelings. You talk about strategies and tools, you know, if X, then Y kind of thing. Mm. And that was one of the biggest ones. And it was kind of paired with managing with uh, trying to not place that much importance on expectations from other people, you know, understanding the why, why are you doing this? Why are you so affected by what people think of you? How do you think that's going to change your life? Just like a lot of introspection um, and a lot of just tools for different kind of scenarios. And it paid off. I actually went on that meet. I missed my first squat, a weight that I had done for like six, six or seven reps. There was a, an, a light attempt, a light opening attempt. Um, and for the first time ever in my entire powerlifting career, I was able to like rack the bar back up and like laugh. I was like, fuck it. Like, fuck this weight. Like I can obviously do this. Right. And Hayden and everyone in my corner was like, Oh my God, like they're freaking out. They're like, Oh my God, you missed that squad. Like, I can't believe it. I'm like, yo, chill. <laughs> like, it's all good. Like, I don't care. I have two attempts more, you know, and just that change it, that shift in mindset was so powerful because it allowed me to continue the competition as if I hadn't failed in the mm. first place. So when, when you're lifting obviously like heavy weights, that must take a toll on your, on your joints and your physique to an, like, to an extent, how do you kind of, what do you do for injury management? Um, I mean, that's a, that's a topic that we could talk for like five hours, but you know, for the most part, Injury management, injury risk reduction, injury prevention, which is not really a thing. Uh, it's a it's a really kind of like gray zone because even the most the smartest, most talented athletes with the smartest people in their corner, even they get hurt, right? So you have to understand that when you're doing something professionally, when you're when you're pushing your body to its limits, you're bound to you're bound to get hurt. You know, if you fly mm -hmm. too close to the sun, you're gonna burn some feathers. It's just part of the game. And it's a matter of understanding that they will happen and that you are beating your body up to the ground and it's not healthy. Uh, but that's, that's, you're aware of that. You're aware of what you're doing and how it's affecting your body. And when you do get hurt, if you do get hurt, then it's just, you see it as like one more piece in, in the game. So as far as for me, for injury management, you know, the most important thing in powerlifting at least is load management. So how are you, you know, are you counting your tonnage? Do you know how much weight you're moving in a particular week? How are you progressing that throughout the weeks in a particular block? Is it, you know, at a pace that's allowing you to recover or is it at a pace that's breaking you down and not allowing you to make progress? Um, and all of that, you know, is so individualized and it changes every year as well. Every, every person has a different rate of progress. Every person has a different rate of recovery from one particular session. Some people respond really well to volume. Some people respond really well to high percentage, you know, high effort lifts. Uh, and for me, like it's impossible for me to tell you just like one thing that I've done because my body has changed so much from year to year and I've had to adapt to everything. Mm -hmm. But the, the main thing is load management and an intelligent progressive overload. And outside of that, like, man, anything you do, like, acupuncture, dry needling, 
uh, cryotherapy, sauna, uh, contrast therapy, Normatex, Theraguns, like all of those are tools that acutely make you feel better. Um, or even like sometimes even placebo, like there's no kind of uh, physiological changes occurring in your body when you use those. Um, so even if it's just, it's just pretty much numbing down the pain for a, for a short period of time to allow you to beat your body up harder. Yeah. So it's, man, it's, I've gotten hurt so many times over the last five years, so many times uh, that I just, in powerlifting, I, at least I, I, I accept that at no point during a training cycle, I'm going to be training pain-free. I just accept that it's, it's impossible. It's impossible to talk to anyone who's been competing for more than three years at, at a high level in powerlifting or, or in any iron sport, CrossFit, strongman, bodybuilding. Ask them if they, if they ever train fully injured, fully pain-free. Yeah, I think, I think with that and that mentality, because obviously when, when you try and dissect it a little bit, it's like you're training at an extreme level to compete at an extreme level, which is doing extreme things to your body, which in turn, you're, if you're going to push your body as much as you're going to, you have to accept that there's going to be some, some breaks and tears and, and issues that are going to come along and that you need that mindset to go, yeah, I'm a little bit sore today, yeah. but I'm still going to go lift and, and absolutely kill the game whilst I'm, whilst I'm, I'm partially not. injured. Or I'm not going to go... I'm not going to go lift because I know my body and I know how to auto-regulate and I know when to take the foot off the gas and back off. That's something that comes with athletic maturity that I also had to learn, man. My worst injury ever was a back injury. And I had been, I had been having back pain for months, like I want to say six months. And I just kind of like started upping my ibuprofen uh, dosage every, like every other week to the point where I was taking a gram of ibuprofen to train like i needed to numb down my entire body so that just so that i could move because it was so bad and i had that mentality of like fuck it right like i don't give a shit my body's hurting i'm just gonna go in and train as hard as i can because it's my job it's my livelihood this is this is what i have to do it's my purpose whatever and went into the gym one time was feeling awful obviously as always i couldn't i could barely like tie my shoes on that day and I went under the bar, I think I had like 175 kilos that day for like a, a few sets of three or whatever I was doing. And I remember on the second or third set, unrack the bar, go down to the bottom and felt, it's, it's, it's so weird to describe, but it felt as if my spine was made of rubber band. Like it like was like a, one of those, like it, that's <laughs> what it, it's not what it looked like, but it's what it felt like in my body. It was like one of those. And I'm like, oh fuck lay down on the ground, couldn't move, couldn't walk for like at least 30 minutes. And then I was out for four months. And that just goes back to knowing when you need to take a step back. You have, mm. a, you have, do you know the difference between being in pain and being injured? Do you know that, you know, do you know your body well enough to know when you can go in and train or when it's actually better for you to not go in and train? Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that, that is an important part. I should have touched on that a little bit is like, being a little bit achy and going to training is definitely a lot different to having to consume painkillers to get you for a session. And people need to know that difference and, and kind of think, oh, I'm, I'm probably a little bit broken here. Maybe I need to have a day off, but 
I think for a lot of people who are have that competitive mindset, they do struggle to to relax. I don't know if you do yourself to have like a rest day and just do fuck all. Um, I a lot to. of people I spoke to, yeah. I used to be like that, but that's so stupid. You know, the the way that I like to, to I like to explain this is I forget whether it has like a name, but essentially is most people don't know how to turn it on and then turn it off, right? Like when I say turn it on, like you're you're going all out. You're going to a top set. You're going to failure. You're going to till you puke. Like that's how high I'm talking. And then rest means nothing. Like rest means being naked in your house and walking around and getting 10,000 steps by going from your room to the kitchen. Mm. You know, like that's rest. So what people end up doing is they end up in a chronic under training state, but at a very high frequency. So they just train at 50% of, of their effort could be cardio, could be lifting weights, whatever it is. They're training at that 50% for long periods of time, very frequently, um, and never actually turning it on and turning it off. So that's why they feel like they still have to go into the gym. They still have to like go, oh, I, I can't, I can't sit still. Like, yeah, I trained yesterday, but like today I want to also go. Well, you didn't train hard enough. If you say that you didn't train hard enough the last day, because when I go into the gym, I don't, dude, the next day thinking about the gym makes me nauseated. Like that's how today I was at the gym for four hours. The thought of going to the gym tomorrow makes me feel ill. Like that's how you should that that's how you should feel. And I'm not even talking about like effort, but it it could be like a skill, a new skill that you learn that like drains you mentally. It could be, you know, refining your movement. It could be anything, but it's like being there all in, phone off, focused, training either at high intensity or high volume or something, but like making progress. Uh, and that's called 80-20. You know, 80% of the time, you got to be training hard. 20% of the time, you got to be resting. Now, you can't stay 50%. In 80% of the time, it has to be high effort. 20% of the time, low effort. Not 50% all the time. You know, people that train six, seven, seven times per week, it's like, dude, you're not doing anything. You're yeah. not doing anything. You're. It's like a, what I imagine them. It's like kind of like a, a person like growing a canoe and just like staying on the same spot all the time, but like killing themselves. That's why I imagine them. Yeah. It doesn't so how work. important how important is um, mobility as well? Do you work on obviously you work on your mobility a lot? Um, I notice like in over this period of time in the last five to six to seven years, like mobility has become quite a a more talked about subject within the fitness world. Um, how is, important would you say it is? Yeah, in the I guess yeah in the fitness world it has become more important. I don't think that it's like really. Uh, leaked into powerlifting at all or even strongman at all or bodybuilding um you know because it's almost like frowned upon to be one of those people who stretches in 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 our world right it's like uh, what are you stretching for like can you squat to depth can you reach a bar then you don't need to be working on your mobility that's their mindset my mindset and this is part of the hybrid approach to training which is what we sell it's being able to, when we talk about periodization, when we talk about the organization of or planning of your training, we not only talk about reps, sets, frequency, volume, although that's a really important part of it, but we also talk about seasons and we talk about periodizing your general fitness preparedness. So within the planning, within within the, the planning of your of your workouts, it's 
we take into consideration your cardiovascular health, your muscular endurance, your flexibility, uh, and your overall health, stress, sleep, all of that. Um, because to training um, and include all of these different variables and all of these different styles of training within your year that's a much better approach and mobility falls mobility flexibility falls right in you know the more you lift weights the stiffer you get every single year like for even for me man and I and I and I work on it more than most people but I know powerlifters who who can't uh, like when they're sitting down, if you're trying to tie your shoes on, you know, you try to put your leg kind of like on a nail, they can't do that. Wow. Or like they struggle, like putting their hands behind, externally rotating their shoulders to put a jacket on. Dude, it's like, yeah, cool, all right? Like you can bench, you can squat, whatever, you can deadlift, but dude, you cannot put a jacket on by yourself, you're 26, <laughs> you have a problem. Yeah, wait until you're 40. <laughs> yeah, exactly, dude. Fucking hell. What people, people don't realize, right? And, and, I think their fear is like, oh, I don't want to mess up my powerlifting, right? I don't want to, what, I'm going to start doing cardio, I'm going to lose all my gains. I'm going to start doing mobility, I'm going to get loose at the bottom of the squat, you know, I got to be stiff, whatever. Um, and they don't realize that the human body is a lot smarter than that. Like, you can do a lot more. Yeah, do you, do you, get, do you get looser at the bottom of the squat if, if you stretch? Not looser, but you gain new range of motion, and you're going to have to strengthen that range of motion. There's always a way around. Same with mm -hmm. cardio, man. If you, if, if the, the, the practical applications of, of cardio for a strength athlete are humongous. You, they don't realize that if you have better conditioning, better cardiovascular endurance, you can train longer, you can train harder, you can, uh, you can push yourself more, you're not going to get winded from like a five rep squad, you're going to be able to do four sets of five instead of one top set of five, you know? It just has so much uh, carryover in other, in, other, in other areas. People talk about carryover as if, dude, when I was doing Olympic, sorry, I'm going on all these tangents, but when I, was doing, when I was doing Olympic weightlifting and I started doing low bar squat, people were like going crazy. They're like, dude, what are you doing? You're going to mess up your, your clean and dirt position. Your, that doesn't carry over. That lift doesn't carry over. They don't realize that nothing ever carries over. It's not like, it's not like a, 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 a direct equation, a chemical equation where like everything kind of, no. It's sometimes it's indirect. Like I mm. say here, you gain more conditioning, you're able to do more sets. It doesn't make you a better power lifter, it makes you a better athlete. And if you're a better athlete, then you can be a better power lifter, you know? So what are your future plans? What are you working on at the moment? What's, what's next for you? Um, so, I've been hurt for the last year and a half. It's like chronic back pain. And I, I can train through it. You know, I can, I can push myself. I, can, I know when I'm back off. And I, I, I know that I can continue training the way that I was doing. But for the last, like, three, three years, I've felt so pressured to compete at the competitions that, quote, unquote, mattered. You know, like, where the big girls all, were all showing up. And I felt called out. Like, if I didn't go, I felt like they were saying that I wasn't good enough or that I was uh, afraid of competing directly, like face to face with them, you know, 
and I felt really pressured to show up to every single competition that they showed up at. And I guess they do it because they they get paid based on where they show up or based on like the cash the cash purse. Whereas like I don't, right? I have my own business. I don't have to show up every time. But my pride didn't let me not go. So I just fell into this trap of like never fully taking time off ever. Like my time off I was still I was still squat bench doing squat bench and deadlift, you know? Never really giving my body a, a break from the heavy weights. So I just felt it got to a point where, man, I don't know, I really have to think about my longevity. You know, what do I want for myself, for my body? How much longer do I want to do this for? What am I going to do after this? Am I, am I ready to, like, stop being an athlete and just, like, commit to being a business owner or, like, a mom? I don't know. You know, so for me, I had a long period of introspection and um, decided that I really wanted to give myself like a real break, like a, a year long break from powerlifting or more, a year and a half, uh, and just focus on on my health, get my like let my body completely heal this back injury, you know, rehab all this stuff, um, and have fun for a year for because for for the last three years it's been more I've I felt like going to the gym has been more like a job, really monotonous and and stressful, like really really stressful, and I just want to develop a better relationship with fitness again. You know, I, I've, I've been an athlete my entire life. I've been playing professional sports since I was 12. So it's part of my identity. I'm not ready to give it up. But, um, yeah, I just I have to look out for myself and, and, and try to keep myself healthy so I can stay active and at a high level for, for 10 more years. So the rest of the year, um, I'm doing bodybuilding now. I'm actually training with Ben Pakalski, uh, preparing for – Either a competition. I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna do that yet. When I compete, like I would compete in the wellness division. Mm -hmm. So either that, uh, or I'll just do a, a, like a massive photo shoot to land a, a magazine cover or something like that. And at the same time, I've, I've been doing martial arts. So I'm doing focusing on boxing now. My coach also uh, is a black belt jujitsu. So I've been doing some nice. like uh, ground groundwork as well. Traveling up north to fill Daru's gym and training with Maureen and a bunch of other like female fighters, just having fun, you know, like obviously me being me, the second that I, that I figured out how to throw a punch, I'm like, I'm going to go to the Olympics, yeah. you know, like that's like, that's immediately Mindset. Where, my mind, where my mind went to and, and it's tough. Right. Cause like, I, I do want to keep training and I, and I, and Consciously and subconsciously, I'm I'm not just training. Like this is not like fitness boxing. I'm training to kill someone on a ring every day that I'm training. So, what that will look like in the future, I don't know. But I'm planning on kind of like keeping boxing in the back seat, just de developing my understanding of of fighting in general. Just watching a ton of boxing, MMA, and movies and whatnot, and keep training consistently, but not not like not crazy. So I'm I'm doing one or two boxing sessions a week because i know that any more than that i'm i'm gonna go insane because i'm gonna yeah. want to be ready to fight next month <laughs> well i mean uh, you're going to the right place with uh with phil up at his place he's he's a badass you know so much knowledge i've got so much respect for him i've had him on a few times met him when he come over to england and his his mindset like he's just come back off his uh acl and he's already pumping out content and still training and i'm just like Dude, when do you sleep? <laughs> like, when do you sleep? He's he's such a cool dude. 
such a cool dude and knows a ton. So yeah, and then compete. I guess compete in powerlifting next year. Probably next year will be my last year as a competitive powerlifter. I want to have. I I want to retire from powerlifting on a positive note. You know, not because my body hurts, uh, but more so like you know achieving. My goal has always been to deadlift 600 pounds at any body weight, ideally below 165. Um, that's insane. I weigh 140 yeah. pounds right now. I've never been this heavy in my entire life. But yeah, so deadlifting 600 pounds and man, that's it. Leaving my shoes on the platform, moving on to the two bigger and better things. I know you said you were short on time. How much longer have you got? Because I haven't got a clock in the room to, to check. So I'm not, not 100% sure. Yeah, no, you're good. I have, I'm waiting for my interior designer to walk in. Um, okay. So if he walks in, I'll let you know. Brilliant. Um, so what are your daily routines like? What do you do for yourself? Um, let's say competition time will take you back to there. How, how are you preparing for, you, preparing for that mode? Like what are you doing daily? Um, so honestly, not much different to what I'm doing now, other than my sessions are much longer and I train much more frequently. So yeah, I wake up, I take my dogs for a walk, I eat, and then I honestly, I base my training time on like my responsibilities and how I'm feeling rather than like sticking to tight schedules. I don't know if you noticed based on our communication, but I'm, I'm a, a scatterbrained, I'm a procrastinator, I'm unorganized as shit, and that's just the way it works for me. And I, could I change it? Yeah, maybe, but I think I'm Fuck doing it. pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> So I just go, I just go train whenever I feel like my energy is kind of the highest for the day um, and train for anywhere from two to four hours. Uh, I have a pretty cool training crew or for powerlifting. We usually sign up for the same meets. So it creates a better environment at the gym. You know, everyone's kind of like at a similar, we're not moving the same weight, but we're, we're training at a similar intensity based on like how far we are from a meet. Um, and that's it, man. Like then I do spend some time doing body work every week, I'm going to, uh, get soft tissue work, uh, pay a lot more attention to recovery, do sauna and sauna and cold plunges almost every day, yeah. three, four times a week. Um, and yeah, that's it. I think I, obviously I dial down a lot on social events, try to go to sleep early, get a good night's sleep. I drink much less, like a couple of drinks per, per week. Um, yeah, just, you know, trying to, trying to behave as much as possible, but never too much because you also got to live. Mm. I like the, I kind of get the vibe from you that you are a bit more grounded with your training and stuff like that. So, you know, if you wake up a little bit late, it's not the end of the world, you know, you, you're kind of a bit more free flowing. And I think a lot of people that I have spoke to don't necessarily have that. They're very structured and routine and it's kind of refreshing to see someone that's achieved what you have. Yeah. Still I mean, quite free flowing. Yeah. I just, I just honestly think that there's no one size fits all for uh, success and productivity and efficiency. I think like we're taught as a society that you have to have schedules, you have to be organized, you have to wake up at 6am, you have to have breakfast, you gotta have coffee. Like we're put all of these like made up, rules or or kind of like routines or ways of behaving that simply don't work for any for for everyone like i for the longest time i was beating my my head against the wall feeling bad about myself for not being able to stick to a schedule and i forget what book it was that i read but it was talk about 
how creative people uh, and, and actually not only creative people, but a lot of like really, really high achievers, Bill Gates, Steve, uh, Steve Jobs, a lot of them are like very scatterbrained and actually like not very um, um, like lenient with what they do on a day to day. And that's when I realized I'm like, man, like I don't, if there's no size, no one size fits all for training, no one size fits all for dieting, no one size, why is there one size fits all for, for routines and habits? Mm-hmm. Right. So I remember I once had this conversation with, uh, he was, he was one of my best friends at the time. And <laughs> I was like, I was like, dude, doesn't it piss you off that, that I, drink almost every night i stay up late i travel to like cool places all the time and i'm still better than you at powerlifting <laughs> and you guys are so pissed and it was just like one of those realizations where i'm like man you just you have to do what works for you and you have to find figure out a way to enjoy what you're doing even if not all the time because i don't believe that you can be happy all the time um but fuck, just like try to enjoy your life you gotta have a balance with everything can't be, I think, can't be too serious all the time. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think main, the main fundamentals there are to to be happy in the life that you're, you know, performing in almost in, in what you're doing is to find that strike of happiness. If sticking to that routine and getting up at 5 a.m. to be in the gym at 6 and so forth isn't making you happy, then fuck that. Do something else or adapt the times and fiddle around with it and be fluid rather than that kind of linear, strict structure. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So any tips for people that want to go uh, grow their glutes at all? So for the women out there, I know guys like to grow their glutes, but yeah, any tips you've got? <laughs> um, yeah, the, the first thing is train glutes often, obviously. Uh, and then, you know, from a technical perspective and this this is something that applies to every single bus, bu, uh, muscle in your body that is that if you want to make a body part grow you have to be challenging that body part so there's a big difference between strength and hypertrophy in strength you're essentially trying to refine a movement and essentially make the movement perceivably as easy and as light as possible right you're trying to, your body's trying to find a way to move in a way that is the least energy de- demanding and that it takes the least amount of effort. Whereas in bodybuilding, you want to do the complete opposite. You want to make weights that are perceivably light or actually objectively light feel perceivably heavy. So it's the complete opposite. And you can do that just by focusing on contractions making sure that the exercise that you're doing you're 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 finding ways to make it more difficult more challenging and not easier like um swinging weights um you know taking three seconds in between sets because of whatever reason that you think all these things um are not necessarily helping you but are 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 kind of like defeating the whole purpose of bodybuilding uh, and then the second, the second one that also applies to every single mu- uh, muscle is um, joint angles and range of motion, a particular joint. So I love to explain, or I love using the analogy of the high bar in, or sorry, of a hip dominant squat in a knee dominant squat because it's like so easy to visualize. But essentially, someone when you see someone squatting and their knees travel really far uh, in front of their toes, 
it's not necessarily bad. All that means is that because the joint angle is changing the most at the knee, it means that the quads, so the muscles that are in the front of your leg, are the ones that are doing the most work. If you have a hip dominant squad where you can see the hip is moving most, the hip angle is what's changing the most, then that means that you're focusing on your glutes and hamstrings. So can a, is a squat the best movement to grow, grow your glutes? No, but you have a better chance to grow your glutes if you purposefully have a more hip dominant squat. And then from there is training glutes in every angle, understanding that um, challenging every single muscle fiber in its different orientations and every single portion of the, of the glute, especially your glute med, which are on the sides, and then your glute max, which is like what gives you the shape. Just understanding uh, vectors and lines of force and understand that you have to challenge all of them. So is hip thrust a good, good exercise for your glutes? Yeah, but it's just challenging in that one vector, right? In that, in that one plane, that up and down, it's challenging mainly your glute max uh, muscle fibers that are here. But now how do you shape it like that? How do you shape this part? So that's, you know, my shift into bodybuilding is what's allowed me to have this kind of like newfound perspective on training and under, really understand, like, did I understand the difference between powerlifting and bodybuilding before? Sure. Like I went to school for this, but I never like truly lived it and like really, really understood it at a, at a like practical level. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's the main difference, you know, in, in bodybuilding, the reason why their training is so meticulous is because they're training for proportions. So it's like you can make your shoulders look bigger than your triceps. You can make your your body have this V shape. It just depends on like what your exercise selection and um, your execution. Hmm. I think a lot of people as well neglect um, time under tension. You know, we always see those the set pretty much. 90%, 98% of the people in the gym, it's always the same sort of motion. Whereas if you squeeze those weights and it's three seconds down or one second up, you know, you're just going to get that deeper activation, which I assume is going to help shape as well. And just fire those muscles up, making those light weights that little bit heavier. Exactly. Because it has everything to do with intent. If you go in and you just lift that, you're not forming. I, I hate just using the term mind-muscle connection because it's so worn so used but it's true like you have to develop a, a mind muscle connection and like really lift with intent if you want to maximize growth are you still gonna grow yeah like dude i've so far you know what I, I haven't even started my bodybuilding prep but i've already talked to a bunch of bodybuilders just to see like what their training is like and how it differs and here's what's interesting out of what have i trained maybe with like six bodybuilders like six pro bodybuilders the six of them have a completely different approach, completely different. Some are high volume, some are low volume, some incorporate heavy lifts, some don't, some pay really close attention to technique and execution. Some uh, don't care about losing form at all. Like they just like swing weights and whatever. Some like training to failure, some never train to failure. It's really interesting. And you know what all of them have the same? They're all professional bodybuilders and they're all huge. So the conclusion I draw from all of this is First of all, uh, every single path leads to Rome. Like there's many ways to like do one thing and accomplish something. That's the first mm -hmm. thing. And uh, the second thing is that I think more important than anything for bodybuilding is consistency. Like the most difficult part about bodybuilding is being able to train for long periods of time so you can, so you can pack up the amount of muscle mass that you need to compete in a particular division. So whatever it is that you do, whatever training style it is that you want to choose, stick with that one.
for a long period of time. What are your views on um, fasting as well? Um, I mean, I think people don't realize that they fast every day from their last meal until, until breakfast, which is why it's called bre break fast. It's called yeah. breakfast because you're fasting all night long. Um, I don't know like <laughs> why people started getting so excited about it. If you, if you think objectively about what this diet is trying to do, it's essentially trying to minimize the amount of calories that you have in one particular day. And that is what all diets have in common. If you create a big enough, a large enough calorie deficit, you'll lose weight independently of whether or not you're fasting, whether you're eating carbs or not, whether you're eating fat or not, whether you, whatever. If you're eating less calories than you're expending, you're going to lose weight. So the reason why it works, it, this is totally, so I'm, I'm going to first address just like the, um, um, the part of it that, that pertains to weight loss. And then I'll address the, the part of it that pertains to health. So what this diet is doing is essentially giving you a short shorter time window to eat and the premise is that potentially because you have less time to eat then you'll eat less now it doesn't happen for everyone like some people might be like oh fuck i only have six or eight hours to eat today and they stuff their faces and they don't lose weight you know but then some people that might maybe people who hadn't dieted in the past you know because they didn't like counting macros or they didn't like excluding groups and they were just like oh i heard about uh, uh intermediate fasting i'm gonna try it out they, those people might have a better relationship with food. They're not like obsessed at all. They just like eat for a shorter period of time and they actually create a calorie deficit. That's why it works. Mm. Um, but you can do that with literally any dieting method. So if you don't like, if you like your breakfast, your, your egg and, and uh, bacon in the morning, eat your egg, egg and bacon, like nothing, you, you can, you can still lose weight. Um, and also you can easily fast. It's like, if your last meal is at, say 9 p.m. you had a snack and then you don't eat again until 9 a.m. dude that's already 12 hours of fasting like that's enough fasting and if you want to go crazy you wait two more hours and that's it you have 14 hours of fasting which is like what most people do 14 to 16 hours of fasting it's just so easy to do I don't know why we started pretending like we that is something magical or whatever like I bet you that a lot that hundreds of millions of people do this without even knowing now the other theory is intermediate fasting for the purpose of health and there is, there is pretty conclusive research that it helps for certain conditions. I don't know off the top of my head, head which ones those are, but you know, it, it helps you improve insulin sensitivity for people who either have di diabetic tendencies or who have diabetes, you know, could be a good way to, to um, uh, monitor, not monitoring, um, keeping your blood glucose levels more even and improving your sensitivity to insulin so that it doesn't stay in your bloodstream for you know, longer periods of time. Simple. So it, yeah, I mean, if it's there are there, there are certain health health conditions. In conclusion, there are certain health conditions that are improved by fasting, but for the purpose of weight loss, it doesn't really matter. So, what's your stance on um, like good calories and bad calories, or do you preach kind of calorie deficit, eat what you want? What's what's your take on that, or is it goal dependent? How do you say if someone approached you and said, you know, I want to reduce my body fat? And you say, no, but they want to eat McDonald's or whatever. Would you recommend yeah. like, well, they're shitty calories, you know, yeah. stick to the veg. Yeah. Um, you know, it first depends on what your definition of good and bad calories are. Good for what and bad for what? 
right? Like if we're gonna talk about good and bad, good and bad for your health, or good and bad for your goals, you know, for losing weight. I like to think about food in what what name did I give it? It was a, it was one of these silly names that I give things, but it's essentially like foods have either high or low calorie content and either high or low enjoyment uh, rate. Mm. So so that's how I think about food. I don't think about food either good or bad. It's like, okay, I acknowledge and realize that this food, this particular food has a very high calorie content and probably is not good for losing weight, you know, but it has such a high enjoyment that I feel like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have it. Or it could be the opposite, right? This food has a super low calorie content, but a really high enjoyment rate. Like the perfect example for this is popcorn. You know, it's a, like a, 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 it's, it's a food that you can consume a lot of volume uh, off and not pack up, pack on a lot of calories. So yeah. would I, that's how I think about it. Now, would I ever advocate for someone to just count calories and not pay attention to what they're eating? Never, especially because most of the people that I work with are athletes. So when it comes to athletic performance, you have to capitalize on all the variables that you can control. And one of them is nutrition. So that is something that I, that I'm, that I'm gonna make sure that people understand is look, you know, eating junk food. This is, this is what junk food does to your body. You know, this is, this is what's actually happened in your, if happening in your body. It's not actually making you better at your sport. It's actually maybe making you slower, making you sluggish, making you have, um, brain fog, whatever. Uh, can you eat them? Yeah. But you just have to understand it's going to impact your performance negatively, right? And potentially your health in the long term. Not that we have much proof of that, because actually we don't. We actually know that even if you eat junk food and you stay in a calorie deficit, you can still improve your blood markers. So now we understand that that a calorie surplus is actually what leads to most of the uh, like comorbidities related to weight gain. So yeah, I mean, just understanding, first of all, having a balance, you know, understanding what good and bad means to you, you know, and um, making sure that you're, you have a diet that's balanced, like some, yeah, yeah, you can have cookies and dessert sometimes, but I think most of the time you should be eating nutrient dense, high, really high quality foods that are going to fuel you either for your job or to perform or just to feel better as a human. One thing that always um, kind of pisses me off is people want to lose weight and then they go onto these diets like, I don't know, a Herbalife or a fucking keto, whatever. They go onto these diets and you, and I always tell them, yeah, you'll lose weight, but you're not changing the way you look at food and the way you eat. So shit, in the long, you're just going to put it back on. After that diet, they just put it back on and it, it just always grinds my gears. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, behavior is such a huge part of dieting. We, so we have another, one of our companies, it's Hybrid Nutrition. We do one-on-one -on -one nutrition coaching. And I would say that like 90% of our clients require behavior modification and, and uh, habit building. And just like, like you say, improving their relationship with food because food is addictive, you know? And, mm. and, and people, because of society, what they see in magazines and whatnot, they start developing these like really unhealthy relationships with food to the point where you're right. Like even when they diet and lose weight successfully, 
by the method of removing one food group, group completely, then when they go back to non-dieting, then they resort back to their old habits because the habit behavior modification never occurred. You just literally patched it with a Band-Aid. That's yeah. all that you did. You took take Quick the Band-Aid off and the, the, yeah, the injury or, you know, the, the mindset is still there. You're, you're, you still have a fucked up, fucked up view of how you should diet. I went through it with, man, I had severe binge eating disorder when I was in first year, fresh, uh, freshman year of uh, college, severe binge eating disorder. I, had, I moved from Venezuela to San Diego and I went from pretty much having all of my meals prepared by, by my family to just having to figure it out. And I was eating at the dining hall, eating pizza and pasta every day. And I put on my freshman 15. And then I started just like obsessing over food for, for a couple of years. And it took me a while to even acknowledge that it was a problem, right? Like that I was exercising, that I was training, you know, NCAA soccer and then like stand, going on a treadmill to run six miles. And I thought that was normal, like for the purpose of like having 600 extra calories to burn or to eat. You know, sometimes it takes you. Sometimes it takes you a while to even acknowledge that there's, there's an an aberrant like pattern going on. People mm -hmm. sometimes don't even acknowledge it. But even when there's not, you know, simple things like um, putting things that are that have a high calorie content or junk food or snacks, whatever, putting those things um, outside of your eye level or outside of your reach in like top cabinets and leaving things that are good for you accessible, like your, your supplements, your vitamins, like leaving them on the counter. Uh, so you don't forget to take them and, and leaving like healthy snacks, like fruit and whatever, like leaving it in the counter. So it's like easily accessible to you. Those things go such a long way. They did this study where at a cafeteria, I think it was a hospital cafeteria, they changed the the placement of the sodas in the water. So they put the, the sodas right next to the register and the waters, they like put them, I don't know, like in the back and it increased like soda consumption astronomically, I forget what, what percent. And then they, they, they did the reverse where they just put water in the front, like healthy snacks and those snacks got sold more. So wow. you can, con can't control what people want to sell you, right? You can't control how that's presented at a grocery store and the level of temptation that you're going to have, but you, you can have some control at your house. It, and it doesn't mean you can't have your snacks, you can't have cake. It just means, dude, don't leave it out there. You know, if you have an issue with portion control, then don't, don't, don't do those things. I have an issue with cereal. It's a problem. Like if I, if I leave this cereal box in front of me while I'm eating, I'll refill my cereal bowl until there's no more milk. And then if there's cereal, I'll add more milk and it becomes this vicious cycle where until it's perfectly even, until the point gets where my last bite has equal amounts of milk and cereal, I'm going to keep pouring either one. It's like a, like a mad science experiment. So I know that already, right? So, so what do I do? I grab my cereal, put in my bowl, put the milk and put the cereal away and walk out of the kitchen. Like it's that simple from just like being mindful that, okay, yeah, I know that I have an issue with this one food or I know that, you know, this triggers chips and salsa or whatever in front of the couch that triggers my binge. So I'm going to put the chips in a bowl, put the chips away and sit in the couch. Dude, you're not going to get up. And if you get up, you're going to feel bad about yourself, you know? So just yeah. like little things like that, they can make such a huge impact. It's not chips though, it's crisps.
crisps. Yes. I, love anything, I love anything that, that is crunchy. Yeah, me too. That's my, That's my problem. Even if I put them at the top, it's like they've got a little face on them. They're like, just eat me. And I'm like, <laughs> I can have this healthier thing, but I'm, I'm just going for it. Fuck it. Who cares? But yeah, no, it is important. Um, definitely even the way you organize and the way you shop you know that you you're going to eat shit or you don't want to eat shit try and shop a little bit healthier and limit the amount of you know snacks that you deem as bad for you um in purchase yeah um thank you for your time i've really appreciated it um where can people find your programs and everything like that to basically purchase off you and talk to you and get information from you yeah so you can find my training programs at hybridperformancemethod.com um, oh my God, Caesar! What's my videographer doing in here? Did you know Caesar? Why are you here? Wait, does my <laughs> IG, does this IG live appear on my on my IG too? Uh, yeah, I think so. That's how it works. I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, that's what he's doing. Um, yeah. So you can buy my training programs at highperformancemethod.com. Buy your apparel at hyperapparel.store. Find me at Steffi Coin on all platforms. Simple as that. Perfect. Um, thank you for your time. I will, I'm going to get some clips of this podcast and I'll send them over to you through DM. Um, and then if you can post them, you can, if you don't want it, that's fine. If you think they're shit, then that's fine as well. <laughs> yeah. Honesty is the best policy. But yeah. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. We'll have to do this again because I've got so many more questions for you and you've got such a wealth of knowledge. It's, um, yeah, it's a pleasure to listen to. Um, but yeah, thank you. Take care. Uh, what an awesome podcast what an awesome guest thank you all for tuning in uh, check out the JB podcast on YouTube I've hosted a wider range of guests um, follow me on Twitter follow me on Instagram really appreciate it and uh, cheers everyone for tuning in thank you uh, we're also on Spotify iTunes and everything